You're listening to the 24-Hour Podcast, sponsored by GoDaddy.com. The 24-Hour Podcast was recorded December 20th and 21st, 2008. It was the second annual event as a charity event to raise money for disabled American veterans. During the 24-hour period, I had a number of guests on the show. We had periods of open discussion and talk. And you'll also notice that uh, it is quite live and uh, the non-edited. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the 24-hour podcast. Again, the 24-hour podcast was sponsored by GoDaddy.com. If you're looking for a domain name, virtual dedicated server, dedicated server, shared hosting account, whatever it may be in your domain-related products and hosting services, don't forget GoDaddy.com. And when you get to that checkout counter, use the promo code TODD. That'll save you 10% on your order. Geek5 will save yourself 15% on orders of $20 or more. Todd20 will save you 20% on one-year shared hosting accounts. I hope you enjoy this particular episode of the 24-Hour Podcast. Again, it's an open forum discussion with guests that I had on. Definitely visit 24hrpodcast.com to check out all of the episodes. If you have a comment on this segment's commentary, you can send them to News at gmail.com, or you can drop me a line at my voicemail hotline at 619-342-7365. We join now the 24-hour podcast in progress. All right, there's one thing I need to do here with the talk shoe system to resync that thing. So this is going to get annoying throughout the day, but let me try this. <coughs> Excuse me again. Call recording has been completed. Recorded live. All right, we got all three recordings uh, back up and running. Actually, four recordings. We are. I'm a recording ninja today. We've got uh, video being recorded. The good high def uh, stream is being recorded on the TriCaster. And then uh, I've got uh, an audio recording that's being a backup on a machine back here using Adobe Edition. So its sole job today is record audio. This machine I'm pointing at is a TriCaster interface. It's doing the video recording. It's the same machine that uh, Leo Laporte does, has. And then, uh, of course, I'm doing uh, using the Ustream, recording the Ustream stream, and then also on TalkShoe. So we're going to have – this thing's going to be all over the place but by the end of the day just for the simple fact that uh, – the recordings are going to be going up live. Jeremiah, I think you're on the call. Welcome to the uh, 24-Hour Podcast. Hello. Um, hi. You're a little bit quiet, so make sure that if you can, just uh, speak up loud into the mic, and that way we make sure that we get good crossover through the uh, the phone bridge and everything. But, uh, Jeremiah, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your podcast? Okay. Um, I... I'm a 14-year-old podcaster and just turned 14 a couple of weeks ago. And my show is called The Jake Coast, the 2008 podcast. And it's about pretty much whatever I want to talk about. It has no general main subject. So I pretty much talk about whatever. depends on what I want to talk about that day. Hey, Jeremiah, how, how long have you been doing your show? I've been doing it for about... Months now. So what uh, what prompted you to get started in doing this, and what are you using to actually record your show with? Um, 
Um, when I bought my Zune back in the beginning of this year, um, I didn't know what podcasts were. Then, because of my Zune, I found out what podcasts were, and I have this habit of doing whatever I find out about, so I just decided I wanted to start up a podcast and found out how to. I record um, it with just the normal sound recorder in on the... So are you what you're what what software did you say you're using on the uh, on your on your PC and you're still a little bit quiet so make sure you keep the volume up you're not crossing over real good into the stream. Okay. Yeah, I use um sound recorder that just comes with with Windows computers. And so it's not the nicest thing to use but it works. And I apologize to everyone on Ustream that was watching me eat. I had the wrong camera queued up. <laughs> um, so you talk about anything that you kind of is on your mind. What? Uh, what? Uh, where are you located at? Where? Where's your? Uh, where do you live? I live in West Jordan, Utah. So how is the? Um, you know, it's so you live. Is is it a pretty rural place, or do you, is it a, a mid-sized town, or? Right next to Salt Lake City, so it's a really big city. Okay, so uh, you're close to Salt Lake then. So when uh, what do you what do your uh, classmates and so forth think about you doing this? Have you talked to them about it? Is this a project that you've shared with people at school, or you know, how's it? Uh, what's been the benefit so far of doing the doing the podcast? Well, I don't really go to school. I do online school. Okay. So pretty much the only people I can talk. to about my podcast too are my family right. and some friends and I try to tell people about my show as much as possible but it's sort of hard when you're at home the entire day yeah so but do you th- do you find though that with because you've started to do the show and now you're only a couple months in do you find that you're starting to develop more online relationships with people or are you finding you're able to reach out and people are reaching out to you or is, is you know, are you st- you know I know you're still building your audience, but what has been the the social aspects of that? Now I understand, um, you know I've uh, here in Hawaii we have a very very large um, homeschool community. Matter of fact, it's probably one of the largest in the country, and largely because the schools here in Hawaii are horrible, and uh, and I think we're ranked like 47th in the nation or something like that. It's 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 pretty bad, and um, being that you're homeschooled, then you know the there are some social things that you obviously you get out and do, but you're still kind of limited in that exposure. So how's how's doing the online show helped? Or doing the show helped? It's helped a lot. Like, after doing the show, I've joined a lot of social online communities like Twitter and Facebook and Frenzies. It helps me connect with people and stuff. So how long is, uh, do you normally, how long is your show normally? Probably around five to ten minutes. Well, so it's actually pretty short then. Are you doing uh, one a week, or how often are you doing one? I'm, like, on a really loose daily schedule. So it's sort of like a daily when I can do it podcast. I try to do it as um, much as I can, but sometimes it gets really hard to do it because I'm in an extremely um, large family. Right. So there's a competition then for the computer resources? 
Well, I tell you, you need to be uh, getting involved in uh, applying for the uh, HP Magic giveaway that's been going on these 50 sites. Did you uh, did you apply for any of those contests that were going on in any of those blogs? Yeah, I've applied for as many as I can. Oh, that's I've good. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed, and uh, I know that you've applied for the uh, for the giveaway that I'm doing here, and uh, probably it's, it might be a good time to actually uh, to make a comment about that. If uh, if you want a chance, and you're listening to this show right now, and you want a chance to be entered into the HP Magic giveaway that I'm holding, and it will be giving away six thousand dollars worth of computer gear on Monday. <clears throat> Excuse me. Send an email to hpmagic at geeknewscentral.com with the subject line 24-hour podcast. And let me know what you like about the, uh, the show so far and what we could do to improve it in years in the, in, in the future and uh, any challenges you may have seen since you've been, we've done the show. This is the only time I'm going to make that announcement for this portion of the contest. So anyone that enters for that will be entered at least one time for it. So hpmagic at geeknewscentral.com. So... Coming back to you, Jeremiah. Um, the you know doing a daily show is a is a huge huge commitment. And, and but you know what you'll find, I think, is just like Andy McCaskey, who does the SDR News or Slash Dot Review. He is on a daily schedule, and he has been for a long time. And it's very very difficult to do a daily show from a commitment perspective. And and I applaud you for 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 giving it a try. And, and, and doing it daily. But, you know, one thing that you should do, too, is, is you know, use the experience that you've gained in these last couple of months in, in uh, creating the show and make a determination whether or not that that will fit into a, a long-term strategy for you as you get older and, you know, adjust as, as necessary. I think it's good for people to, to set up a certain type of strategy for their uh, podcast in the beginning, but don't be afraid to, to kind of change on the format and uh, and and make changes in the future. So I think that is, you know, if I could give any advice, that would be it. Um, also, you may find that if you focus on, even though the show is a general show, that you kind of talk about uh, whatever may be happening in your life or during the day, um, maybe have a segment of the show that is dedicated to a topic. Uh, consider that and, you know, see how it flies. But no matter what you do, and I, I tell this people all the time, um, when you make a change to your show, just do a single change and then let it run for two or three weeks and see what the single change you have made, how it affects um, the take up of the podcast. Do you have any idea how many people that you're getting in subscribing to um, your your show right now? Um, yeah, I'm using FeedBurner and not, I've been like trying to figure out how many people I have. And I think it's an average of around 25. Okay. Now, one thing I want to preface here, and, and, and the reason I asked you that question was, was that you've just gotten started, you're 14, and you've been online a couple of months, and you're starting to grow a little bit of an audience. If I don't want you to get discouraged as you're moving forward with your audience size. You just realize it'll grow with time. But how many people your age can address that many people directly on a day-to-day basis, not very many. I would first say that maybe most of your peers would have a group of friends, four, five, ten friends, that maybe is in an inner circle of friends, but yet they don't necessarily address them, you know, address them directly as a group. So if you use that 
methodology or mindology in building your show, you know, you have to, you know, use it in to your advantage and you can, with time, you'll grow your audience and get your message out uh, to more people. And I think that uh, someone just put up in chance, like Daniel, who was one of the early podcasters that was younger, he's still online and he does, um, you know, he's built his audience and uh, he's learned a lot. And I'm sure when it comes time for him to go to apply for a job, do a college admission uh, interview or something to that effect, he's going to be so much far ahead of his peers because he's going to be able to say, hey, listen, I've been doing new media and I've been online for five years or six years, whatever it may be. I've got good uh, speech skills, you know, I, you know, and it can really um, help you to have an edge on people as you're getting older. Um, I think, though, you have to, you know, take into consideration, and I hope your parents are supportive of the fact that you're doing this. And um, while at the same time, your age, I would be careful on how much I really opened up and told people because people, um, as they're older, are more tolerant of stuff. But if you have an audience that's your age, they can be have a tendency to be more cruel as well. Have you had uh, any pushback from people at all? Not really. I haven't noticed any of that yet. So what do you think your biggest takeaway so far is Is in, in doing the show? I didn't hear that. What do you think your biggest um, – well, what's your biggest reward so far for doing the podcast? I know you've only been on two months. I don't really know. I just really like doing it. It's just fun too. Now, one thing we definitely want to do is we've got uh, this is you're going to get major exposure here, not only today, but um, throughout the rest of the year while people download the show. What's the website? And uh, so people can go find it and uh, check it out and subscribe to your podcast. Um, that is at jcoast2008.blogspot.com. Say that again one more time, a little louder and slower. jcoaster 2008 so jcoaster2008.blogspot.com. Okay, we'll have to definitely – you definitely want to send me an email with that link so I can get that up in the show notes as well. Did – did um, I thought maybe you have a – do you have a guest host, that someone that works with you as well, or do you do it all on your own? I do it all on my own, but I'm hoping to get some guests on it sometime. So why don't you tell me a little bit about just some of the general topics that you talk about, if you could. Maybe summarize maybe the last couple of shows you've done. Um, well, on every single show, I usually have um, a piece of music that I've composed that I play. And then, I like for the past couple of shows, I've been reading stuff. Like, I've been writing a novel. And so I've been reading, like, parts of that novel in the show. Did I hear you say that you do music? Yeah. What instrument do you I, play? I play piano and cello. Oh, very impressive. Yeah, I've, my uh, my uh, son and daughter they play. Uh, they both play the ukulele, and then my son plays the clarinet, and my daughter plays the uh, violin. And um, I think next year my son's going to move into another uh, string instrument. They're younger than you are. How long have you been playing music? I've been playing piano for about five years now and cello for about two years. Right. The um, the cello, that's a, it's a challenging instrument, isn't it? Yeah, but it's 
very fun type of place. Yeah, it is. Well, that's that's good, and you know, I, I guess what I'll do is, um, you know, I've, I've kind of dominated the conversation here with, and, and we're getting some audio feedback that uh, people are having a little bit hard time hearing you, and I hope that uh, being on this show gives your gives your show a boost. But do any of the folks that are on the uh, talk show line uh, having comments or suggestions for Jeremiah and what he can do with his podcast? Hopefully, we'll have some people unmute and join us here. So, Jeremiah, I guess... uh, Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. There's a little delay. I had to have time to run back in here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually, uh, Norbert, I think Norbert's on his way out the door, but uh, uh, he does a daily podcast as well. Uh, You might be able to give some pointers to him about doing a daily show. I think it's, you know, I think uh, just based on what I have talked to Andy about is that when you go down the road of doing a daily show, people, you know, your subscribers, if they are hardcore fans, they build you into their lives. And I say that with anybody that's doing consistent content um, coming out on a regular schedule, the people actually build their lives around. Well, they don't build their lives, but they they have you planned into their content consumption plan. I guess that's the best way to say that. But um you well, know, one podcast, you kind of build your life around doing that daily show, too, so it kind of works both ways. That's right, it does. And uh, I know Andy does most of his recording late at night like I do. and uh, He it, does a phenomenal job with it. He um, does, and I don't know how he does it, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, on my podcast, I usually record um, like at 7 o'clock in the morning because it's when everybody's asleep. And I can't record late at night because um, parental controls makes my computer turn off at 8 o'clock. Oh. So the parents have got it locked down, huh, so that you can't get online after 8. Nope. You know, someone else I might want to uh, talk to is uh, Daniel Brusilovsky, because Daniel started when he was, uh, what, 14, 15? Not, yeah. much, not much older. Are you familiar with uh, Daniel, Jeremiah? Uh, no. I think he, if you actually do a search for Teen Podcast Network, you may actually even find his, I think he's got a small network of folks still. Does Do you know if he does? or I don't know if he does or doesn't. It's, uh, I'm not really sure on that. Um, I, uh, I think he, he has some, some kind of a, a network going, I think. Yeah, well, I was going to Google it here for you and see he, what I he was He was online a little bit earlier. I was trying to see if I could... Uh, 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 shot him out on the on the chat, but uh, he doesn't seem to be responding. So he may be <clears throat> offline right now. Yeah, Teen Podcast Network. I don't know if it's Teen Media Creations or something like that. I'm going to load it up here and see. I know it's, he was. It's Teen something. It's Teen. I don't remember exactly what. It's Teen something. Yeah. And it would be good. And it would be good for you to get associated with some group too, Jeremiah. Especially if you've got uh, you know a peer group that's uh, out there. And uh, you team up with some folks, that'll definitely help your your audience share, you know, help you grow your audience. Yeah. And Bree had asked in the chat, too, is how many instruments do you play? And uh, Bree, I don't know if you heard it or not, but he said he plays the cello and, uh, and the piano. So I got to my website here. It's danielbrew.com. Yeah, and if you, if you put that up in chat, that would be great for him to... Uh, he can click on that and just connect up with Daniel. I'm doing that right now. 
So, Jeremiah, you learned about podcasting through your Zoom, and, you know, I, I have to uh, plug the folks at Zoom. Matter of fact, Rob Greenlee from the, the Zoom, from Zoom, the, the podcasting portion of Zoom is going to be on the show later today. Um, they have done more in the last year to build a podcast audience than Apple has done in the last couple of years. They've really had a major impact to a lot of podcasters. We're starting to see um, – well, we've seen trends of some audiences having uh, as much as 18% of the audience coming from uh, people that are, are using Zoom. So they made a, they've made a major, major impact, and uh, that's what we're going to talk to Rob about as well. Do you remember what your first podcast you listened to, Jeremiah? I don't know. I think it was a Discovery Channel podcast, something like that. Did you go on a podcast consumption binge where you uh, subscribed to a whole bunch and uh, basically couldn't listen to everything you subscribed to? Yeah, and I'm still sort of on that. I'm, <laughs> I've subscribed to 58 podcasts. That's a lot. That's a lot of podcasts to listen to. Well, I'm I glad you – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I always look forward to your podcast because it's probably one of my favorites. Well, I appreciate that you you listen, and I hope uh, I hope you get good content out of it. And if it ever becomes boring, just uh, just ping me, and I'll uh, and I'll, I always like to get good feedback from people. Well, as everyone knows, um, we are uh, into our well, actually, we were three hours plus into the twenty four hour podcast, and we've got uh, Jeremiah Penna up on like on line right now with us. His website's jcoaster2008.blogspot.com. He's a 14-year-old podcaster, has a general uh, topic podcast, so make sure you check him out. Also, we are uh, raising money this uh, 24 hours, a charity event for disabled American veterans. I hope that you will consider contributing to our uh, kitty of money that we're going to send over to them. And there's a PayPal link available on geeknewcentral.com or even on uh, 24hrpodcast.com. And the goal today is uh, to try to get up there to about the $3,000 mark. That was the target we set last year, and we reached, and we'll hopefully reach again this year. Um, I'm going to have a lot of, if you look at the schedule, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of people coming on throughout the day today. Uh, Robert Scoble is going to be up next. Haven't seen him pop in yet, but uh, hopefully he makes it <coughs> on time. And um, and just a, just, you know, if you look down through this list, it's it's a pretty amazing list. It really is of uh, folks that are going to be on and uh, going to have some entertainment even later tonight that is uh, uh, definitely not teen safe. And uh, that'll be on in, I guess, about the 11 o'clock hour on the – actually, 10 o'clock hour on the West Coast. I'm looking forward to talking to Ross Savage as well. She's an equal adventure writer and speaker. Uh, many people know her from uh, being on with uh, Leo Laporte doing uh, cross-ocean uh, she basically has crossed many oceans in her, I guess I don't know for a better word, her skiff, which in those words, which she uh, has done these uh, long water rowing events. So we'll talk to her about that. We're going to have Carrie Holtzman, co-host of Computer America, on in the 11 o'clock hour. I'm um, lo really looking forward to doing a um, tech podcast roundtable. That's going to be coming up at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 o'clock Pacific, where it's going to be our Christmas special. And we'll be talking with uh, Andy McCaskey and Jeffrey Powers uh, after that for our discussion on what we're going to be doing at the Consumer Electronics Show 2009. We've got a full full range of podcasting discussions going on, too, as well, starting at um, 
at about uh, 12.30 Hawaiian, which is 5.30 Eastern or 2.30 uh, Pacific. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, podcast advertising and marketing, talking about the PowerPress plugin for WordPress, podcast statistics, and branding and marketing your podcast by my team at uh, at Raw Voice. So we got a lot of stuff going on. You are more than welcome to join the, uh, the live discussion here that we've got going on. And if you haven't joined the live discussion, we encourage you to do so. And it'll be a full 24 hours of, of chat and discussion. And uh, we're early in, so I'm still full of energy. So uh, we'll continue on here with the discussion with, uh, with Jeremiah. So, Jeremiah, what did, uh, what did you think of the uh, – what do you think about this, uh, this 24-hour podcast? And what are your, um, what are your opinions so far? Um, I haven't been listening. I just barely got on because I've been off. I listen to – Last year's twenty-four hour podcast. Okay. Did uh, what did you think of the content from last year? Then did you get some good info out of it? Or yeah, it was really nice. Okay, great. Does anybody else have any more feedback for for Jeremiah? I know we've got a number of people on the chat line that haven't uh, interjected anything. Does anything have anything else? And it is I appreciate uh, Geekazine uh, announcing on uh, the chat session. If you Twitter, use the hashtag pound twenty four hour two four hr podcast dot com, and we'll see how far up in the Twitter ranking we can get in the over the next twenty four hours. Did someone unmute? Jeremiah, was there anything else that you wanted to uh, share about your show? Um, I don't know. Not really. Um. Uh, did you did you by chance have any questions for us or? Uh, no. All right. Well, I know that uh, I want to thank you for taking some time and coming and hanging out with us today, and uh, and definitely let us know if the if the twenty four hour podcast has helped your your show grow, and uh, if you have any questions, uh, you know it's something we can do to support you. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of smart people that are involved in the podcasting space that are. You know, uh, contribute a lot of time to helping people out. Don't be afraid to, you know, pop in the forums and, and ask a question. I'm sure we'll all uh, be willing to help you out as much as possible. And I want to uh, wish you luck with your podcast in the uh, in the coming new year. And I want, of course, to wish you a, a Merry Christmas as well. I think we, we're getting some feedback. Let me see where that's coming from. All right, what I'd like to do in the last six or seven minutes here of this segment while we're waiting for, hopefully for Scoble to show up, is to kind of open up the lines. I see we've got uh, someone dialed in from Florida. Do you want to say good morning and hello? I guess I'll just open up to anyone. Feel free to go ahead and jump in here. You know, you guys are going to hurt me if I have to do all the talking for 24 hours. <laughs> I wouldn't want that to happen. I'm, this is Rick again. I'm here, but uh, I don't want to monopolize. I don't want to take over the show here. But, uh, you know, what I think is interesting, Todd, here we have a whole we – have, we, have, we have a room full of podcasters here, and nobody wants to talk. <laughs> now, is that irony or what? It is absolute irony, you know. It, it really is that uh, – that uh, you know, the cats got their tongues. I think for some reason, 
And uh, this is why I got into it. This is why I got into it because I I, I love to talk, but uh, <laughs> it's an excuse to be able to say something. But uh, uh, come on, guys, there are other people in here too. You, you know, I'm I'm good, but I'm not that good to go a full twenty four hours. You see why the schedule is the way it is, right? I've got it pretty jam packed with uh, with uh, with content so that we can get everybody. Uh, um, you know, have a little assistance throughout this because you couldn't. There was no way you could do this uh, twenty-four hours by yourself. Oh, I don't know. Todd, you did pretty, yeah, last year. yeah, that sounds like Bree. Hey, Bree. Yeah, that it's me. Hi, everybody. Um, did that Jeremiah say he was homeschooled? He didn't go to school. He goes to homeschool. He yeah, he's homeschooled. I do online school. So oh, there. How how does that work? Like I have a teacher who teaches me from like some other place, and I'm in like a sort of class. I do like all my classes online. Wow, Jeremiah, do you do the? Do you do the? My um, my sister homeschooled, or I guess online schooled for a while, and hers was actually delivered via DVD. Do you get yours via DVD, or do you actually watch a live stream? Um, it's it's just like an online program, right? Um, like sometimes we do talk to our teachers and. Yeah, that's cool. I had uh, what my sister had done is she got a DVD, and it, I was really skeptical when I saw it. It was a uh, the her daughter would stick in a DVD every day and sit down, and it would be the class on DVD. And I thought, no kid's going to sit through and watch that. But as I'm watching her, she's like responding to the screen, you know, talking. You know, I'm like, wow, it really works. So. And and she, it was remarkable. Now she's back in public schools now, but uh, she had a, a pretty tough year one year, and and that year was really a remarkable, made a remarkable difference in her, and helping her getting her back up to speed. And I, I was really kind of skeptical, but it uh, it sold me based upon just watching her do a class one day. Okay, well I guess I got uh, I am that Scoble's on the way. So he's going to be uh, bopping in here soon. That should be fun. We'll see how many people. Scoble should bring a crowd. I am. I'm expecting Scoble to uh, to uh, to bring the bump the numbers up. He's always uh, he's always great to talk I'm a, to. I'm actually here, Todd. Hey, hey, Robert. How are you? Hey, really well. Good morning. Hey, good morning, and uh, and welcome to the second annual 24 Hour Podcast. Yeah, I think you're crazy, but, <laughs> but I like, I'm crazy too. I like it. <laughs> you know, it's 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 one of those things that uh, you know. You, it, this all started out with kind of this like, I wonder what I'd like to be do a 24 hour show, and I talked about it on my podcast one night, and then the next thing I know, I'm getting like 200 emails from my audience members saying, "Yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it," and I'm like, "Oh, why did I ever say that?" And uh, I had a lot of fun last time, and it's going to prove to be a lot of fun this time as well. So you have been traveling all over the world my friend you have been busy you've been to china you've been over in europe yep they got you going everywhere it's been crazy hopefully i get to stay home a little bit this year <laughs> this next year <laughs> yeah so how has the how has the transition been moving over to fast company it's been really really good i mean i you know they they have such a great brand that people recognize it instantly and want to talk to you and um and you know, and they have a good web team, and so I, there really wasn't much of a transition time at all. Go right to work. Was it easy? Is it easier for you now to get indoors than it was before? 
Yeah, because uh, normal people recognize what Fast Company is. They didn't know what PodTech was. And right. So, that, yeah, it's it's easier to get into conferences and it's easier to get past the PR people, you know, who are always trying to see, you know, protect protect their executives against the crowds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I read a blog post uh, of yours the other day that I talked about extensively on my show uh, Thursday night. And it was about your post about the makeup of shows changing due to bloggers and podcasters and people creating new media. And I, I thought I thought it was a very interesting take. Um, so are you of the opinion, are you predicting then that CES won't make it through 2011? I, I don't know. It's too early to predict that. But the signs feel the same same way that it did when uh, Comdex went, went under. You know, that the crowds are starting to to subside and the the uh, big companies are starting to have a lot of trouble um seeing the value in the show right you know i of course uh I, this will be our fourth year going out to ces and i'm real curious to see uh what the change is going to be um this year as compared to last with the economy the way it is well <laughs> one, one change here's a good example somebody just twittered a 136 dollar a night price for the win that tells you that there's something really going on at, in Vegas that that they can't even fill the the hotels out, and that they're offering uh, near a hundred dollar a night prices. That's unheard of for a, a, a CES week. A hundred and thirty six dollars. You know, I rebooked at the win, not just you know. Oh. I mean, I could understand if that was at the Mirage or some of the older hotels, but you know, to get that price at the win. That tells you that Vegas is in trouble, and that and that CES is going to be dramatically smaller this year. You know, I had uh, I paid twenty four two years ago. I paid twenty four hundred dollars for seven days at the Monte Carlo. Last year was eighteen hundred. This yeah. year, my prices went down to nine oh six for a week. But if they're offering one hundred thirty bucks at the win, I may have to change reservations. <laughs> yeah, Miriam's changing it right now if she can. So. We were down at the Luxor, and we saw this price come through. So we'll we'll let you know if we can uh, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. A hundred and that's that's amazing price for the win. And win is a five star, up class, great uh, great hotel. Let me ask you a question, Robert. I um I don't know if you if you follow my blog at all or not. I know you follow me on Twitter and stuff. But there was I had to run into um an issue. I guess you would say better say to say a problem trying to get. Uh, my cameraman credentialed with uh, digital experience out at uh, CES. You know, that's one of the side events that's go on, just like Showstoppers. You know, Showstoppers have been great. Those guys have, with Stephen Leon and his group, uh, um, they're right on it, and they're making sure that uh, the people that need to be there are in his uh, his event. But when I yeah. talk when I talk to the folks at Digital Experience, they're going like, "Hey, you've hired a, a cameraman. He's not accredited, but uh, since he's not accredited, we can't give him credentials." And I'm like, "I've been there the last two years." And I just wonder if this attitude, and they were very serious. They were very serious about not credentialing my camera person. So yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if this attitude is ultimately going to, you know, hurt. I don't know where we're getting extra audio from. Let me uh, mute some more people here. Yeah, oh. it's not for me. Yeah, I wonder if the um, uh, if that attitude is ultimately going to backfire on those folks if the show numbers are down and the coverage is not as good. I, I think it will. I, you know, I, I know, I know, fewer bloggers are going this year than than went in previous years, and uh, 
and bloggers being journalists as well, you know, because bloggers and journalists are the same thing to me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I I don't know where that attitude's coming from, and I, um, uh, I I haven't even, I might not even be able to bring my cameraman, so <laughs> so I might have to do it all on on a Nokia phone or on a um, flip cam that I'm using now. So those, we'll see. Those flips are great. You know, we did back channel last oh. year. We ran we ran flips for the entire time we we're on the show floor, and the flip content got as much views as the uh, as the interviews did. Yeah, and I. I I, I think I'm going to use Flip a lot for the new stuff because it's so so easy to get up. I mean, I, yesterday I interviewed Tim O'Reilly, right? And we did two interviews, one with uh, two professional HD cameras. Well, that that interview needs to be edited because we shot it on two cameras and it needs to be spliced together and all that fun stuff. So it'll take till Tuesday afternoon probably to get it up. But my, my uh, stuff that I was done on the Flip, I just, Plug it into the USB port, drag it over, and upload it to Quit Kite, and uh, it's already live. Yeah, it's... And so, yeah, and also, most people online they they don't they they want to see the conversation. They don't care that it's you know pro quality that looks like Charlie Rose did it or something. Yeah, you know, so that's true. And he, and I and I think it just you know with us using a flip phone or flip cameras last year, uh, proved that point exactly. So you you've been to China, and um, I was completely fascinated with your story about um, the middleman being cut out completely, with uh, manufacturers essentially becoming end distributors. What was you know? Could you elaborate on that at all? Yeah. So that, uh, we visited Liam Casey, uh, who runs PCH, and he he runs a supply chain. He has a database of eight hundred factories in in China, and. Um, Companies like, in fact, he makes uh, all sorts of different accessories for like the flip cam, for uh, the chumby. I mean, he makes all sorts of stuff that I can't even talk about. And uh, for big companies, you know, big big computer companies. So if you're getting shipped something from a big computer company and it comes from China, chances are it it, it came either from his factory or or in maybe with three others. But what what was real interesting because my view of China was. Oh, they're just a factory. That that's where they make stuff, and Americans or you know, or big companies go over there and make their stuff there. But then there's you're still dealing with a big company. Well, that's not true anymore. You know, if you get shipped a power supply from a famous computer company, it probably the web page you you visited to buy that um, that power supply wasn't owned by the the big company. It was owned by PCH, and the the shipping came right from PCH. So are you actually dealing with a big computer company, or are you dealing, you know, or are you dealing with a PCH? Well, you never heard of PCH, right? <laughs> but that's very disruptive because you, now as a new company, in fact, he makes the Chumbi. I don't know if you if you've heard of the Chumbi. Oh yeah, of but course. Not, the Chumbi is made by a, a company that I think has three people in it. So the product designer could be, you know, could, could take a trip over there for a couple weeks could say, hey, we're going to make this new killer device. Uh, here's the new device. Oh, and by the way, we have YouTube videos. We have Ustream. We, have, we can do a talk show, a talk show about it. We, get, we can uh, put a blog up about it. We can Twitter about it, friend feed about it, da-da-da. And, and we can have lots of interaction about our new device and see, make sure that there's market demand for it and make sure that people like it. And if they don't like it, well, let's talk about changing it, right? And do the changes right there in front of you with their designers, with their product specialists. So in other words, 
the Chinese factory has moved up the stack now. They're doing the web page design. They're doing the uh, product design. They're doing the packaging de- design. And then they're doing all the manufacturing. And the only thing that they haven't quite figured out yet is how to do a brand. Because, you know, uh, when you buy a computer thing, you, you haven't heard PCH before. But they're coming, you know. And so you're going to be one entrepreneur is going to be sitting over there doing a product with the crowd. And, and then in a couple of weeks, it's going to arrive on your, on your doorstep, you know. And, and it, it's going to be shipped right to you from the Chinese factory. So where's the room for the middleman? <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> you know? there is no room. Uh, He's eliminated. No, there's only the only the only guy, the only American who has a job anymore is the uh, entrepreneur who collected the cash to start a company and uh, and who had a smart idea. You know, <laughs> that, you know, and, and even though my my parents have a or have a different type of business, that was their strategy: is they completely eliminated two or three middlemen, and uh, she is essentially king at what she does, even though it's a small business. And uh, I understand the. The concept and the scale completely, you know, it, it reminds me of, and I and I hate to even say eBay on this show, but I had not shopped on eBay for anything for a long time, maybe four or five years. It just had not been on the site. And I yeah. was looking for, I don't know, some audio equipment or something. I was looking for something used that I wanted to buy and got on there and did the searches. And I found what I wanted new, cheaper than used, and, and did a purchase now on there. But what blew me away was that I got free shipping from China yeah. to my doorstep with the product that I wanted, cheaper than I could have ever bought it in any store in the United States. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. You know, and that was e- that's just eBay as, a, as a, an example, you know? No, no and, and, and that's, yeah, that, that's going to change a lot of things. And it, also, uh, China is now growing. You know, China used to only make these cheap plastic toys, right? That's, that's, sort of the brand you have in there in your head but they make everything now i mean if you turn over your product and see where it's made it it's probably made in china or taiwan or it's somewhere somewhere around there um but they're also starting to do r&d on their own product i I mean the um the uh uh, 3m projector the pico projector that that we saw last year at uh, consumer electronics show he showed me one that that was completely designed, built, and manufactured in China. You know, no outside help needed. And it was a great product. It, the only thing it didn't have was a brand name that you would recognize. So he said that the if I was smart, I would still figure out how to get a brand name on there that rec- that is recognizable. He said those, the people who can build brands and get customers are still going to have a lot of... Uh, value you know so amazon will have value right because right. they have a lot of customers who love their their brand and interact with them and even if you're even if you're not getting shipped from amazon's factory you're getting shipped from pch or some some factory in china yeah you you still have their amazon still has some value because not because they're a middleman but because they've aggregated everything together and and put it together in a, a way that you trust right because that most people won't trust a, a factory in China, at least for maybe 10 more years. But the Chinese are coming on. Lenovo, you know, they bought uh, the ThinkPad line from IBM, and they have Lenovo, and they're going to figure out how to do uh, global brands. And you could launch, I mean, if I was if I was 20 years old and thought I, I could be a Steve Jobs of the future, I would be living in Shanghai, I, I, or Shenzhen. I wouldn't even 
try to start a company anywhere else because you, you have all the tools to start a global brand right there. Um, and if you're anywhere else, you're not going to have the insight to, to build a global brand and be able to ship it everywhere in the world. Can this model be reintroduced into the American system? Is it even possible? I, I'm really freaked out about it, to tell you the truth. I, I don't see it. I, 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 to, to, to be honest, I don't see America being the number one world power you know, 20 years from now. Do you think that... I, I, I just don't see... I, I don't see how they can. I, the, the, and the, when you're over in China, the scale of the place is just mind-blowing. I give you one example. I was there 12 years ago in Shanghai, and, I, uh, and an official took me up in the TV tower there, and there was no building around the TV tower back, back then. Today, there's 30 or 40 skyscrapers around the, the TV tower. In just 12 years, they built, you know, like two Manhattan, you know, I, I mean, a huge buildings right around. You know, the, the, the amount of building that goes on there is just unbelievable. But the the tools to make an economic success are there, and it's, it's hard to see that those tools will be anywhere else in the world, you know. And it's not just America, right? It's, you know... Could I start a Nokia in, in Finland? Uh, I think you're going to have a better shot at it, at starting it in Shenzhen. Do you think it's uh, largely to do because of uh, labor cost? Uh, it, it, I mean, labor cost is a major deal. I mean, I, I, I talked to a couple software companies over there, and they said the most expensive, you know, the top engineer over there, uh, software designer, is $25,000 a year. That's Where cool. here in wow. Silicon Valley, you know, the top the top. Uh, so software engineer can get four hundred thousand, you know, three hundred thousand. So, yeah, it, it, labor costs do matter, <laughs> um, but I think that's going to be less and less of a of an issue going forward. You know, uh, they're they're kicking out more engineers, you know, every year than the rest of the world combined. I I believe is the the right stat. I'm not, you know, they're also. It's real interesting that twelve years ago I thought, man, this com- the country. You know, they have the manufacturing thing locked up, but they don't have the creativity or the entrepreneurial skills. Well, in 12 years, I, 12 years ago, I saw no wealth, in, you know, distrib- demonstrated in the society. Today, there's Ferraris dri- driving in Shanghai and BMWs and, and Audis everywhere. And, you know, so it's like, wow, in 12 years, they just created so much wealth for, their, for a portion of their c- citizenship. That that wealth is now now there's an entrepreneurial attitude in, inside China that's very it's right in front of you. Where you know 12 years ago it was hard to see that they were going to start their own companies and and really uh, have have the kind of spirit and and uh, entrepreneurial attitude that it takes to find something weird and and do something different than everybody else. I think the general, you know, at least in my circle of friends, the general, I, you know, general thought about China is that the while we understand what they're doing and is, you know, they've done some amazing things. It's, you know, largely, I, I maybe I'm going to be safe to say a two class society, but don't, you know, just like other countries have went through this industrial revolution where they've, you know, they've got cheap labor, they've got factories that are causing major amount of pollution and so forth. Don't they go through yeah. this stepping process? Where at some point, 
they become not as competitive because their labor prices rise and the standard of living by their general population is expected to rise, you know, maybe not in proportion with the rich, but um, at some point there's going to be a level playing field, isn't there? Yeah, but that, that point is 30, 50 years away, you know, um, and I wonder if we, if we as human beings will get there because of the global warming problem. If, if the global warming problem is human generated, we, we have such immense problems. And it's not just China, right? I mean, right. if you re- read Tom Friedman's book, there's a China going on in Brazil, and there's a China going on in India, and there's a China going on elsewhere. And, and America still pollutes. You know, we're still building a, a coal plant every week or so. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we're not a clean society either. We we haven't figured out how to how to do. You know, it's funny seeing all the clean coal advertisements, but we haven't built a single clean coal plant here. You know, um, I, I we have immense problems, and it, they're just in your face in China. I mean, here I'm in Hafen Bay, and the sky is blue, and I don't see the pollution. You know, it's not in my face. Right. There, there, the pollution is in your face, uh, and you get to see it in a way that you just don't see in most American cities. Yeah, I spent many years traveling to a lot of third world countries, and uh, I think most Americans do not have any clue on how bad it really is. Yeah. I, I You know, you can imagine certain amount of pollution, but it's not just the air pollution. It's the ground, soil, s- surface yep. stuff. It's the whole nine yards. It's just off the chart. Yeah. Yeah, it really no, is. It's, uh, it's, we are face, uh, Tim Riley said this to me yesterday, too. He said, we are facing huge challenges in the, in the next, uh, you know, 30 years. And uh, he thinks that there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurial activity in, like, clean tech and stuff because of that, uh, that we need to figure this stuff out, or we go away as a human race, you know. And, and uh, a lot of people don't like to think about that, but that's, that's what we're facing. I mean, if global warming is, is actually true, and I believe it is true, you know, based on the stats I'm seeing, you know, many of our cities are going to be underwater in 50 years. This is going to be a problem that our kids are going to have to face, and it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty uh, scary problem because uh, when you're over in China, you just see the scale of the problem. And you, you see how hard of a problem it is. And you also see that everybody around the world wants to be just like Americans. Right. So, you know, they drive big SUVs in Shanghai now. Yep. It's like, why, why are you doing that? Why don't you, <laughs> you know, why don't, why don't you learn, learn the best parts of America and then come up with a better idea? But no, they don't come up with a better idea. They just copy us, partly because GM invested there, right, and invested billions of dollars. And so GM is selling the same crap they, over there that they sell over here. That's why, you know, I... I wish we could, you know, I wish Obama could say, you know, we're going to stop building gas cars in, let's say, 25 years or 20 years. And we're going to make sure that they, uh, that we become the world's leader in electric cars. If we did that, then we would have all these people who are skilled at building electric cars. And, and also, we would have a great brand that we could take over to India and China and, and Brazil again and say, here's your solution to your pollution problems, you know. Why don't you electrify, too, and, you know, and let's open up electric car shops, you know, I, I think figure the, out how to do this, you know. I think the general public is going to demand that, and I think your consumers I, are going to drive it because, you know, what I we're – st- 
the, the problem is I think they're going to, they're demanding it over in China and because the pollution is in your face there and their kids are, are getting cancer. I mean, the pollution problem there is the, it's so in your face there that the general population now is, is trying to figure it out. Right. So there, again, instead of buying an American brand because we fucked up our, our, our innovation curve here, they're going to buy a Chinese car with a Chinese nameplate on it, and they're going to become the world brand for electric cars. They're going to come in. You know, I see people driving smart cars here. That's from Europe, right? You're going to be, in 10 years, you're going to be driving a Chinese electric car because they know how to build them the best because they, they saw the problem first, and they threw the most resources into solving it. And uh, they're going to figure it out. I mean, I, I met a, an executive from Daimler Chrysler, right, uh, who builds Mercedes-Benz. And he said, we built two cars, the same model, same exact car. We built one in Germany and we built one in China. And the one in China, we tore it apart and it had fewer defects. Why? Because we could afford to put four inspection people at every point in the line. That's right. Where in Germany, we couldn't afford to do that. <laughs> so they're going to build a great car. And they're going to figure it out, and they're going to have the world expertise, and then they're going to build a, a global brand around it because of what I was talking about before. And you know, how, and GM just squandered their leadership. You know, how are how are we going to get back in there? I I don't see how we can unless unless Obama throws some hail marys and says, "Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do the the equivalent of a moonshot." You know, we're we went to the moon in ten years. Why can't we build an electric car in ten years? You know. Well, with and like, the, luckily, I mean, for Americans, the entrepreneurs are still uh, coming out. You know, Tesla's here in Silicon Valley. Uh, Shai Gossi's new electric company is, is uh, headquartered here and in Israel. And so there still is a shot, but it's a small window. It's a, I say it's a two- to five-year window. That if, we come, if, if, if at the end of Obama's um, first term we don't have a good electric car, Thing going here, the it, it'll be over. It'll be too late for us to build a global brand here around electric cars. I think the you know what we're seeing in gas prices right now is just a lull. I think in a few short yeah. months we're probably all going to look back as kind of like remember when it went down for a little while, and then I think we're going to be right back at four and five dollar gas. Well, and, and that's the problem is because let's say it does stay down because the global economy is the global. First of all, the global economy is is in the toilet. It's not just an American thing. It's not just, uh, you know, I, everywhere I went in the world, people are getting laid off. They're, they're scared for their jobs, and they're slowing down. They're slowing down buying. They're slowing down production. You know, Best Buy sales last quarter were down 77%. I just talked to an executive yesterday about that. Um, and, and that's not just here in America. That's worldwide. Um, so the, the gas prices are going down because we're slowing down. We're, we're spending less. We're buying less. We're building less. We're doing less stuff. We're traveling less. Um, and that, that puts pressure on the gas prices down. Let's say the economy doesn't come back. Let's say it, it really is a two- or three-year you know, recession, and it comes back really slowly. Um, well, the gas prices aren't going to go up to next month either, and that's that's the conundrum. Now there's less pressure on GM again to build an electric car, you know. And yeah, they want to get the Volt out, and the Volt is interesting, but the Volt is is one car. They need they need the, to electrify their entire fleet, you know, not just one car. And and they have to have the market conditions where they can sell that car because it'll cost 
You know, I mean, uh, hybrid cars were three, four thousand dollars more than a gas car for a while. That's a that's a tough challenge for, especially for a family that just you know was laid off for six months and is just getting back to work. You know, that that the market conditions for selling a new kind of car that has new technology in it are it's it's going to be a tough thing. But if the government came in and mandated that only electric cars can be sold. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, boom! <laughs> the market condition exists, and uh, you know, and then we we come out with a brand. You know, I mean, if Chevrolet had, you know, in, in five years, ten years, had ten, had five or ten different electric cars like the the Chevy Volt, then I'll then I can see a, a way out of this thing. And, and I, personally, that's how we're going to get out of this uh, uh, downturn. You know, because you you got to build a product that people want and want, and that solves the world's problems at the same time. And that that's it's a tough it's a tough issue. I'm you know, it'll be really interesting to see how how um, how the auto industry solves that one and how government reacts to it. I think the uh, you know I, I I'm pretty confident in the American spirit and our ability to overcome, but I think there is going to have to be a major mind shift. Uh, you know, in the near future, be, or right now, there has to be a major mind shift of people to, in order to uh, become more competitive. Um, I think that the auto industry is just, you know, is is, is a single example of, um, you know, I, I'm not a big labor fan. I'm not a big la- union fan. And I'm, excuse me, I'm not a big union fan. So I think the unions are going to have uh, some challenges. You know, I guess, yeah. you know, when they're paying people $80 an hour to sit and do nothing, it's, you know, that's something wrong with the system. I, if I was a company and I had to pay people $80 an hour to do nothing, um, I'd, I'd have to close shop. There'd just be no way I could compete with that. Yeah. Now, there, there are deep problems in Detroit that will, will be tough to get around. But we've, we subsidize trucks. I, I mean, the Hummer had less taxes on it than smaller trucks did. Yeah. Right. Why don't we flip that one around? Why don't we put a, a five thousand dollar tax on anything that doesn't have electric? Put make a uh, incentive plan for building electric cars and and changing the American buying behavior. And that's really tough. Uh, the the most controversial post I ever or uh, already wrote in in college was to raise the gas taxes. I the amount of shit I took writing that was <laughs> incredible, you know, and that taught me that it's going to be really tough to do this stuff. And it, it, But if we don't, if we don't set up the, the business climate to ha- support the innovation that's coming out, and the innovation is there. I mean, we have Tesla, we have, you know, Neil Young, who lives up the, up the hill from me here, built, took a big-ass American car, a huge Amer- old American car, and electrified it, right? And it it goes 200 miles on $5 of electricity. You know, if he can do it with a big-ass American car, and and that's what everybody wants to drive is a big-ass American car, electrify it. And and then we, you know, then we build all this expertise in how to build great electrical motors again and how to build great computers that, you know, support the electrical systems. and, And then, you know... I mean, if you keep some of the auto industry here in, in America, then all sorts of fun industries, you, you know, are there. I mean, I, you know, I, I uh, Ford let me a uh, Ford Flex, uh, which is a, a really nice SUV, but it's a great car built for five years ago, you know. 
But they, inside that car is the Microsoft Sync system. So there's a whole team at Microsoft that builds the um, voice response systems for your car stereo and your and your um, you know and your climate and and everything else. So you forget that it's not just an American. It's not just a company in Detroit. It's also a company in Microsoft and uh, Broadcom builds the GPS systems for it. And that that company's here in Silicon Valley. You know, and, and there's so many suppliers. I mean, you know, that make tires and make parts. It, it's just a huge one. I, I mean, that's why you know even Bush had to had to hand them a check to keep it alive. You know. Um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely interesting times that we live in now. We're getting close to the top of the hour, Robert. I guess uh, yeah. like a question, a closing question I want to ask for you is, is what do you think we're going to see? And maybe you've seen some insight into some stuff already. What do you think is the most innovative, and I'm looking for innovative stuff, that we're going to see this year at the Consumer Electronics Show? Any, oh, man. any prediction? It, it's going to be a tough show to see a lot of innovation. Um, you know, the, the continuing... Um, Trend HD and what does that all mean uh, is going to be there. Um, you know, I was at the uh, ISA show in Berlin, which is the um, European Consumer Electronics Show, and Philips was showing me uh, something like a 40, 40 something inch TV that was like a quarter inch thick all the way down. It was just, it's just amazing what they're doing with, with TVs. Um, and people still will want to have a home theater, you know, that. that but that's not in I don't know that that's innovative. Um, where did I go? I, I, I went to Broadcom a couple weeks ago, and they make the little chip um, that, that in your cell phone that makes um, that does Wi-Fi. Um, oh, what does it do? It does GPS now, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and it has an accelerometer on it, and it's a eighth in, eighth the size of your thumbnail. And, and to me, that that's that's American innovation. I mean, they showed me their timeline. That the, the the group that made this chip uh, is only about eight years old, nine years old. And in two thousand, that chip had less capabilities and was the size of your PC. You know, I mean, so in eight years, they removed they reduced something in size from the size of a PC to the at, at eighth of an inch of, I mean, a little tiny slice of your thumbnail. That has all this stuff on it. I mean, to me, that that's that's innovation. That's also a lot cheaper to manufacture, which is why they're building you know 300 million cell phones this year that have GPS built into them. Um, to, I mean, to me, it's it, the the hottest things at the Consumer Electronics Show are mobile, uh, HD video. Anything HD is going to be interesting. Um, and beyond that, it's hard to see you know what'll be cool, but. Showstoppers always has a cool gadget that surprises you. Um, I know Seagate's bringing out something for the uh, home theater that's pretty interesting, but I don't even that. You know, it's it's an interesting product, but it, I don't know that it's the geeks won't call it innovative. You know, right? So, um, yeah, <laughs> it'll be fun. I, I think I think the real. I mean, I, I, I'm talking to Best Buy yesterday. The they're really. Um, the, the whole consumer electronics industry is really struggling right now, and they're all trying to figure out what that means and what it means when it comes when it comes back. You know, um, what what will get people to start spending money again? And that I don't think I I can't see a way that they're going to start spending money in 2009. 
um, the economy is just going to be a, a rough one all year long, and I think that's going to be the real the real uh, story of the year is survival. Who survives? Who who doesn't get bought up? Who doesn't get acquired? Who who doesn't go out of business? You know, um, who thrives? You know, does Apple thrive? Does Walmart thrive? You know, who who comes well positioned? Well, I, I tell you, Robert, we're at the top of the of the time list here, or time top of the hour, and. Uh, I know that we probably could talk for about five hours straight on stuff, but uh, oh, probably. <laughs> hey, I, I appreciate you coming in and spending some we, time with me. We haven't even talked about the web, so I'm, on Tuesday, <laughs> come and check out Tim O'Reilly's interview because we spent a lot, a lot of time talking about the web and where it's going. All right, and, and if you want to come back later and hang out with us and chat, feel feel free All to right. do so. We're going to be on for uh, twenty more hours, so <laughs> we, we might. I, I'm going over to Lewis Gray's house for uh, to see his kids today, so we might call up for a little while. That's, in the afternoon that'd be great and uh i want to thank you for coming on and uh and uh you have a merry christmas say hello to your wife for me and uh thank you and of course take care of that little one too that's the most important one right uh he's he's a blast he's he's totally a blast they they keep you young that's for sure and thanks robert i appreciate it absolutely thank you aloha all right, folks, that was Robert Scoble, of course, scobelizer.com. You definitely want to check his website out. If you're not subscribed to his feed, you know, you want to do that. And uh, Robert's all over the place doing lots of cool stuff uh, with for Fast Company and uh, lots of great videos. And uh, he's, he's definitely got uh, strong opinions. I like that about Robert, and he sees stuff that a lot of us don't get to see. And uh, it's nice to see his his perspective on things. Let me go ahead and requeue things here. We're at the top of the hour. We're at the end of woohoo hour four. Uh, only twenty hours to go. But let me go ahead and requeue that. Uh, just as a reminder, though, we are raising money for disabled American veterans, and all money raised for this event will go to DAV.com. Let me go in and look at the inbox here and see what we have uh, uh, raised this hour. Sixty. Okay, so we're up to about $405 raised at this point. So the challenge continues to be out there to uh, uh to push to 300, I mean to push to $3,000 over the next 24 hours. And usually what happens is is a little later on, I will get uh involved in uh, setting some uh some challenges amongst companies that are going to be on a little later and we'll see if we can uh get some dollars out of some of those folks. So that'll be fun. All right, let me go ahead, and I, I said I was going to requeue this here, and I need to do that. So I need to save all these recordings. I, those of you that are on talk show right now, I apologize we didn't get a chance to have audience questions of Robert. Um, but uh, if you have uh, any discussion points, go ahead, and I'll, the line's open. You guys can chat for a minute, and let me requeue this, and I'll bring the next guest in. <laughs> 